0: It was the year he became a superstar in the United States, topping the charts with Electric Ladyland and delivering arguably the greatest performances of his career.
1: Well, she's walking Through the
0: clouds With a circus mind That's running I'm Troy L. Smith with Cleveland.com and you're listening to CLE Rocks, the music podcast from the birthplace of rock and roll. This is the story of Jimi Hendrix in 1968, an artist on the verge of superstardom, spreading his magic wherever he went. Hello, Cleveland. A native of Seattle... Jimi Hendrix spent the first part of his career playing, rather unsuccessfully, on the R&B circuit. He had a very brief stint with Curtis Knight and the Squires before forming his own band, Jimmy James and the Blue Flames, in New York City in 1966 to little fanfare. Hey, I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna tell you how big a bad I am. Yeah. Hey, when I was a little boy, at the head five, I had some problems. It wasn't until Hendrix traveled to London later that year at the behest of his new manager, Chaz Chandler, that things began to take off. While there, Chandler, a former bassist for the Animals, would recruit Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell to round out the Jimi Hendrix experience. The band's fiery sound fit in with England's infatuation with American blues at the time, says Ken Voss. Founder of the Jimi Hendrix Information Management Institute.
1: Well, I, I think England was much more in tune with with American blues, which obviously Jimmy originally brought, you know, with him in some of you know the music that he was doing. England was more open to it seems like everything from fashion to you know, psychedelia to, you know, to, again, the, the American blues, which they were enamored with, with, you know, the likes of Eric Clapton and uh, John Mayall and the Blues Breakers and Zoot Money and all those people. I mean, there still is a heavy, heavy northern soul, American northern soul scene over in England.
0: The Jimi Hendrix experience would play small clubs, but it was who attended those shows that mattered. Among the fellow musicians who came to see this amazing new guitarist were Jeff Beck, Pete Townsend, Brian Jones, Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, and John Lennon. It would all build to a concert at the London Astoria in March 1967. Looking to match the stage antics of a band like The Who, Hendrix set his guitar on fire for the first time. His stage presence would earn him the nickname Black Elvis with the UK Press. By the end of 1967, Hendrix would become one of the biggest music stars in England. The UK chart success of the Jimi Hendrix Experience's first two singles, Hey Joe and Purple Haze, would set the stage for the band's debut album, Are You Experienced, to be released in May 1967. The album would peak at number two on the charts, but things were different in the United States, where Hendrix's first few singles failed to chart. The band's fortunes would change after Paul McCartney recommended Hendrix to the organizers of the much-anticipated Monterey Pop Festival taking place in California that summer.
1: Monterey Pop was, uh, you know, was, was his introduction back into the United States. You know, obviously Monterey Pop brought
0: a lot of pop artists into the mainstream very quickly. The festival would feature an array of iconic performances, from the likes of Big Brother and The Holding Company...
1: But it's all so easy. all you got to do is try, try a little, tender, messy, damn it, huh? all you got to do is know how to love her. You got to her squeeze
0: her little, tender, less, tender, more hand, more. and the Hoop. But it was Hendrix's performance of "Wild Thing" and him lighting his guitar on fire once again that would provide one of the most iconic visuals in rock and roll history. Oh, man, I think I love but I wanna know for sure. Come on, it in, in one more oh, I love you. The performance would leave the Jimi Hendrix experience scrambling to book more shows to capitalize on the buzz. The band played five concerts at the legendary Fillmore Auditorium before landing a spot as the opening act on the Monkees' American tour after drummer Mickey Dolenz became a fan, creating one of the strangest pairings in rock history.
1: They put uh, Hendrix on the tour with the Monkees, which was, as we all know, was the wrong thing to do. You know, after about seven days, they finally decided this is not the right mix of Hendrix and the monkeys. So they kind of uh, did a media relations thing and came up with this, the Daughters of American Revolution uh, organization were protesting because of the sexual innuendo of Hendrix and everything else. It was more that they really just agreed, you know, uh, this isn't working and you know after the final dates in new york jimmy left the tour
0: in his book i'm a believer mickey Dolans would lament the real problem started with the parents who had brought the kids they were probably not too crazy about having to sit through a god-awful monkey concert anyway much less see a black eye in psychedelic day glow blouse playing music from hell holding his guitar like he was f***ing it then lighting it on fire after less than two weeks the Jimi hendrix experience would drop off the tour for as catastrophic as it was it would give Hendrix the kind of publicity he had long been lacking in his home country. Anger! He smiles towering in shiny metallic purple armor Queen jealousy in the behind him Her fiery green gown at the grassy ground Hendrix would return to England to record Axis Bold as Love. The album, released in December 1967, was another success on the UK charts. And this time... It was also a hit in the US. The success of Axis Bold as Love would lead to a return trip to North America for the Jimi Hendrix Experience in January 1968. The trek began with a run of shows in California before heading to Hendrix's native Seattle and then crisscrossing around the country.
1: If you look at the dates that they played in in the United States, it was such a hopscotch tour. But, you know, I'm surprised the band didn't get burned out before they did. I mean, they went from one day, their march, uh, the 22nd, Hartford, Connecticut, the 23rd, Buffalo, New York, then Cleveland on the 26th, then Muncie the next night, Cincinnati the night after that, Chicago the night after that. Two days later, back to the East Coast to Philadelphia, just
0: a whirlwind tour in '68. The Jimi Hendrix Experience would travel to Cleveland in March 1968 for two sold-out shows at Music Hall. However, Hendrix still wasn't quite a superstar in the States, remembers fan Cynthia Penter.
1: A lot of the people I went to school with didn't even know who he was, but the people I hung out with, I might call them the stoner crowd, (laughs) They, they were pretty interested and... Tickets were really cheap, but I remember wanting to sit close and have I had a friend whose
0: uncle, he could get good tickets. Hendrix and his band arrived in Cleveland on March 25th, the day after a concert in Flint, Michigan. But the front man didn't spend much time resting. Hendrix always followed the music, making his way to Otto's Grotto in the old Hotel Statler Hilton where the band The Good Earth was playing. After receiving a shout-out from the band, Hendrix would introduce himself, return to his room to retrieve his guitar, and plug in with the good earth in front of a small crowd on a Monday night. Later that evening, Hendrix and his bandmates ran into Leonard Nimoy at dinner. The Star Trek actor was in Cleveland to promote his album of folk rock and country standards. In his biography, Noel Redding wrote that Nimoy later came to his hotel room to smoke a joint. Live long and prosper. Hendrix wasn't done experiencing Cleveland the following day. He would embark on a shopping trip that saw him purchase a blue Corvette, one of his vices, from Blosschild Chevrolet in the suburb of Shaker Heights. Over the years, an interesting story from those close to Hendrix suggests when the guitarist finally got to drive the car near his rental home in Topanga Canyon, California later that year, Hendrix, who needed glasses but refused to wear them, smashed the Corvette into the side of a stone ledge, totaling it. The Jimi Hendrix Experience would settle in for its back-to-back shows at Cleveland's Music Hall the night of March 26, 1968. The first show saw the band play early singles like Foxy Lady, Purple Haze, and Hey Joe, as well as covers of blues staples like Catfish Blues and Killing Floor. the end of the set a handful of teenage boys rushed the stage one of them managed to touch hendrick's legs before being thwarted by police to a diehard fan like cynthia penter they were the luckiest guys in the room
1: i think i fell in love with him just looking at him and listening to him he dressed so great and he looked so great he was so beautiful and he just seemed to be like so vulnerable too at the same time he was like a beautiful vulnerable man up there exuding this passion and it just like went to my heart. I can still listen to Hendrix and I
0: feel alive. The night's second show was delayed by bomb threats made to the arena via phone. Nothing was found, and the Jimi Hendrix experience took the stage once again, spicing things up with a cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band as its opening number and a straightforward blues version of Red House halfway through.
1: Lord, there's a red house over yonder
0: The stretch of concerts that included the two Cleveland shows would mark one of the last times Jimi Hendrix played small arenas. In May 1968, his band was booked for the Miami Pop Festival, co-promoted by Michael Lang, who would go on to serve as one of the promoters for Woodstock in 1969.
1: Early part of 68, like I said, they were doing whirlwind tours. That tour ended on May 18th at the Miami Pop Festival. Uh, and that was actually promoted by the same guy that promoted the Woodstock Festival and was really, I think, one of the dates that kind of propelled Jimmy into that whole, you know, festival, major market genre.
0: In October 1968, the Jimi Hendrix Experience released Electric Ladyland, a double album produced by Hendrix himself and the final studio album released during his lifetime. Electric Ladyland would reach number one on the pop charts in the U.S., cementing Jimi Hendrix's status as one of the biggest stars in music.
1: Well, it was that 68
0: period
1: and, uh, where they started playing larger venues. Uh, ticket prices were going up. There was actually some... You know, a lot of complaints at some of the venues where ticket prices were as much as $6, you know? <laughs> you know. These days, if you get one of the $6 Jimi Hendrix concert tickets, you're paying $400, 500 for it in, in the auction houses because people just want to have that piece. <laughs> yeah,
0: But, yeah, 68 was the period where it really did start to take off. Thank you for listening to this episode of CLE Rocks. For more, visit our page on Apple Music, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please, leave a five-star review. A special thanks to Ken Voss from the Jimi Hendrix Information Management Institute for his contributions. I'm Troy o. Smith with Cleveland.com. Until next time.